Thank you, Morgan. I can't imagine my family's life without you. I just want to let you know. And where's Austin Turnipseed? He may not be here right now, but that's what happens when you give a card to a freshman at Texas State University. What it is, it's an invitation to a gathering. We've been talking about being devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And I too was a freshman that was looking for community, but I wasn't looking for this type of community as Morgan was. I was looking for fulfillment. I was looking for someone to really meet my needs and, and see something in me and, and, and have this sense of satisfaction and fulfillment outside of the church. But I'm grateful that someone not only gave me a card, someone extended an invitation to a gathering called Community Group met at Scott and Burleson Street in San Marcos, a baby blue house. The invitation, believe it or not, was from a guy named Taylor. I have three Taylors in my life. The announcement guy, my wife, Taylor, and this, Taylor, I like to say my life is Taylor made. And so I showed up to this house, not wanting really much to do with church, the institution, not wanting to be called a Christian. I believed in God, but what I found was this group of guys that met me right where I was. In that gathering, there was something authentic. They weren't pretending to be anything that they were not, and in fact, they embraced that I knew of God, but I didn't quite know God, and what was so attractive in that gathering was that these guys lived as if they actually knew the creator of the universe. They were actually following what God teaches us in the Bible. And it was through that that I started to grow. I started to grow up to become more like Jesus. Before I knew it, I was following Jesus too. As we were praying, as we were reading, I would walk the campus and, and my mind started changing. I, I started seeing people differently. I started finding my identity and my fulfillment in who God said I was versus trying to find all of those things out in the world. And, and then uh, we started giving to one another. We had seven guys living in that house, seven guys. And not only did we have a little jar that when we cussed, we would put money in it for groceries and stuff. We gave in that way. But also there was another guy who needed a place to stay after, again, seven guys lived in that house. And they said, hey, we don't have any more room in our rooms or beds, but just come. We just, just, we got you. You don't need to pay rent. We were giving to one another and we were going. We were living on mission. I was invited to a meeting. They said, hey, we're going to go on a trip someplace. Just come. No, no, no pressure. And before I knew it, I was on a plane to Wolverhampton, England on a short-term mission trip to tell other people about the very Savior that I was learning to follow. If you are visiting, we have been going through a series called Devoted, where the early church teaches us how it means, what it means to be a follower of Jesus and actually how to live that out as his church here on earth. We've been looking at Acts chapter two, verses 42 through 47, and they, they being that first church in Jerusalem after Jesus lived and he was buried, then he rose again and he ascended into heaven. The Holy Spirit came down and empowered this group. That is, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers and awe 
came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need, and day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people in the Lord, added to their number uh, those who were being saved day by day. The early church, the first gathering of Christians, this is what was happening then. And this, my friends, is what we get to live right now. As we gather here in this place on Sunday morning, and we also gather throughout the week in community groups. These are groups that meet in homes in different places throughout eight different cities. In fact, if you're a community group leader, I'm going to make you, uh, uh, maybe, maybe we're going to have an awkward moment here, but I want you to stand up. If you're a community group leader, please, right now, stand up. We have a few in the house. Look at these people, and let's give them a hand, because they are devoted to host you in their home. Community group leaders, I didn't tell you to sit down. I'm sorry. Thank you for standing up. Taylor, that's, that's you. Yeah. So, oh, community group leaders, please stand. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for submitting to your leader. Wow. What a, what a privilege. Look at these people. Ask them, hey, when does your group meet? And we know that if you come to our group, you don't need to stay. You're free to float around and find other groups until you find the one that God wants you to be at. Thank you. Community group leaders, you can sit. That's how we gather. We gather in here on Sunday morning. We also gather in small group. And when we gather, we learn how to grow up, how to grow up to become more like Jesus by reading his word, by praying, and then having this sense of awe that this early church really experienced. Not only that, but we also give to one another. So we fill each other's needs, whatever that may be, whether it's financial, whether it's emotional or physical. We just may need some help. A friend of mine here in the church loaned me their truck yesterday. Huge need in my life to carry some brush over. And so we give to one another. And then lastly, this morning, we are gonna talk about how to be devoted to go out. Now, if we're being honest, I guarantee that most of us are uncomfortable with this last one. We may be really comfortable here. That's why we're here in the first place, to gather. And we want to grow individually to become more like Jesus. And, and then we're even good when we see a need, we'll meet it. But when it comes to sharing Jesus, it gets a little difficult. This morning, I hope to take some of that pressure off as we go out. By the way, high school students, this isn't just courtship or asking a girl out or a guy out. This is a little bit different, although maybe some of the principles may cross over. You figure that out and let me know. So going out there in our communities is what the Great Commission is all about. Jesus said it before he ascended into heaven. Back in Matthew 28, he gave us the Great Commission. Commission And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I love the bookends that Jesus gives us here. He says, hey, 
All authority has been given to me, therefore go. He is sending us out with the same authority that he's given us. And then at the end, he says, and I will be with you. He goes with us as we go. Now, here's what's cool. If we do all three, if we gather, if we grow, and if we give, naturally, something that Jesus said will happen, and I believe that this was happening in the early church because we don't read in context in Acts 2. They weren't knocking on doors. They weren't, you know, standing up in front of an assembly and preaching the gospel. John 13, 35, Jesus tells his disciples this, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This is challenging. It is really challenging to love one another. But God says that when we do this, that people will recognize who Jesus is and then they'll join in because there's something different about how we live when we follow Jesus. That's what was so attractive, attractive to me when I saw this group of guys at Texas State University submitting to the lordship of Jesus and saying, hey, the world is saying this way, but we're gonna go God's way. We're submitting to his lordship. So before we get to, got three points on how we are to go out, I wanna talk about what happens when we don't. Because the reality is, it's easy to not do it. It's, it's, it's uncomfortable in the, in the world to, to actually share Jesus because we don't wanna offend anybody. We don't wanna come off judgmental, but it's one of the greats. He says, go and make disciples. And in the early church, we see God adding to them day by day. So what happens when we only gather and we only grow and when we only give and we don't scatter? There's three things that came to mind this week that I wanna share with you that I believe are things that the enemy wants us to believe that prevents us from going out. The first is this, when we don't gather, I'm sorry, when we don't go, we start focusing on things that may matter, but aren't essential. When we don't go out and, and share Jesus and, and care about others coming to know Jesus, God, as Lord and Savior, we start arguing about things that matter, but are not essential. Things like the color of the carpet or this doctrine of eschatology versus that one, all things that matter, but are not essential to the faith. We start looking inward and say, well, you said this and, and they said that. And, 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 you know, we start bickering and we lose sight of what God has asked us to do, which is go out. The second thing is, is we become apathetic then to people out there. We, we are, are so good at giving to one another and, and growing and, and gathering that, that we, we, we lose a passion to see those that don't know Jesus come to know their only hope. We become relationally distant and we become those that are in the world and not for the world, just in it. There's a very famous quote by St. Francis of Assisi, a lot of us know it. Preach the gospel always, and when necessary, use words. It's a good one. 
Because we should be preaching the gospel with our actions. Anybody out there? All right, good. I'm glad we all agree. Here's the caveat. Words are necessary. They are. And don't take my word for it. The apostle Paul writes this in Romans 10. He says that whoever confesses with their mouth, professes with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believes in their heart that he has raised from the dead will be saved. So it's by speaking, by confessing, by saying, Jesus, I believe in you that we are saved. He asks us to speak. And then he goes on and says in Romans 10, 14 and 15, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. If you don't hear anything else, hear this. Your feet, if you're a follower of Jesus, are beautiful. You are equipped with the readiness of the gospel right here. And wherever you go, you have the opportunity to speak life into somebody else. That's fun. You may not think it's fun. I hope to convince you by the end of this message because there's three things now. We're gonna look at a story of, of two people that, that, that teach us how to go out and, and not just stay inwardly focused. But I wanna speak to three things that, that keep us. One, I already talked about it. It's, it's this sense of judgment. It, it's, it's, we don't wanna be judging anybody. We don't want to think anybody, we don't want to think uh, uh, that, uh, we don't want others to think that we think that we're better than them. Well, here's the good news. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, then you're the first one that needs to raise their hand and say, I need saving from something. If he paid the price for all of our sins, that means that we have sin that he canceled. And so you can share with them what those sins are. Vulnerability. Ask them Hey, you know, have you ever actually heard uh, what Jesus can do in someone's life? And you and I can tell our story. And, and we also have the other type of judgment, which is judging others that think differently than us or act differently than us or vote differently than us. Those things corrupt our mind and put judgment in our hearts, which breeds that apathy that we talked about, well, the first thing that I want to speak to us this morning is let's put on compassion. Let's put on compassion instead of judgment. In Matthew 9, Jesus gives us the why we go. He says, Matthew 9, 36, 38, when he, Jesus, saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus' heart was moved when he saw helplessness and trouble, when he saw the chaos that we deal with here on earth. He saw that we were just wandering around and, and, and did not have anyone leading us to something, to, to capital T, truth. And so what does he do? He sent this to his disciples. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. So the first is that we take any judgment 
off and we put on compassion. The second is we take the pressure off because we just read it right there that the harvest is plentiful. What does that mean? That means that in the eight cities that we as a church have the opportunity to influence San Marcos, Wimberley, Kyle, Buda, Martindale, Fisher, Canyon Lake, Dripping Springs. I did it again. I forgot one. Somebody yell it out. Did I say Driftwood? Driftwood. That's it. Driftwood. Those are eight cities. Fisher and Canyon Lake, I combined into one. So eight cities that we have the opportunity to influence as a body of Christ. The harvest is plentiful in all of those eight. That means that God is setting you up to have conversations with people in those places. And it leads us to the third point, which is go where you are. Not only take the pressure off because God is setting us up, but just go where you are. Sometimes when we think of missions, sometimes when we think of going, uh, you may have resonated last week when we talked about Mexico and, and going out and, and, and into other nations, and that's fantastic, and I hope you get an opportunity to do that, but God is calling you right where you are in that city, in that neighborhood, in that job. He puts you in your family for his purpose of going out and sharing his good news. God's given you favor in some areas that I don't have favor in, that your spouse doesn't have favor in, that your other friends don't have favor in. What are those? How has God favored you? Follow it and allow God to use you in those places as you go. Those are my three points. Before we get into the story, we're gonna see those three points embedded throughout this narrative of, of two people. The first one is Paul, the Apostle Paul. This is the story of how he came to know Jesus Christ. Now, Paul, a lot of us know, was a giant of the faith. He wrote 13 of the 27 books in the Old Testament. I think that's pretty cool. He also was an apostle. He did so many things. In fact, we are here today as non-Jews, if you're a Jew, then awesome. As non-Jews, we are here today because Paul was sent by God to teach us and to write and, and really intersect the Old Testament with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Book of Romans, the book of Ephesians, Colossians, many, many different letters that Paul wrote that we have thanks to him coming to faith. But there was another character that God used to go. God sent this man. Anybody know his name? Ananias. We're gonna read the story of Paul and Ananias and to put it into context, I have these two pictures. Anybody know what that big ship is? That is the Titanic. It's very familiar. We know it because it's black and white and it's huge. And this one, that is the USS Gerald Ford, the largest aircraft carrier in the whole world. But you know, they are nothing without the booming beaver, that little tugboat right there. And the Titanic couldn't have gone out to sea without Neptune. These tugboats were essential in them being sent out on their mission. Go back to the Ford, please. This thing is a military monster. But if the booming beaver doesn't do their job, if the booming beaver doesn't go and get the USS Gerald Ford, the USS Gerald Ford ain't going anywhere. See where I'm going? Paul and Ananias. Let's start in uh, Acts chapter nine. We're gonna read 20, 
or so verses. And we're gonna see how Ananias, aka Booming Beaver, teaches us how to go out. Verse one of Acts chapter nine. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. So Saul is Paul. And Paul, at this time in his story, we all have a story that starts our life before we started following Jesus and then how we came to know Jesus and then how that changed our life. And this was Saul, Paul's story before he met Jesus. And he was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. So this early church that we read in Acts 2, Paul, no likey. He went to the high priest, verse 2, and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, which is the name of Christianity back then, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Paul was devoted, but he wasn't devoted to following Jesus just yet. He was devoted to persecuting Christians and making sure that they were silenced. He was furious that they were taking something that he deemed holy, which is God's order in the 39 books, the Jewish way. And, and, and they were blaspheming as they were calling Jesus the Messiah, the chosen one. And then he met Jesus in verse three. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Something radically happened in Paul's life. This happened in my life, and I think in all of our lives. We went from knowing about God to actually knowing God. We had an experience with the risen Savior. And if you are not a follower of Jesus or you're figuring out what it looks like to follow Jesus, I hope that you feel welcome here. And I also hope that you continue to seek Jesus, period. Come to church, read uh, uh, God's word. All of those things continue to seek the person of Jesus Christ as he is written right here. Paul had an experience with him and now he knew God. So much so in verse 7 that the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus for three days. He was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Enter Ananias, aka the booming beaver, verse 10. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. Now let's pause right there. These theophanies did not happen very often when God verbally called people out. It happened many times in the Old Testament. We see it a few times in the New Testament. It just happened to Paul, now it's happening to Ananias. We don't know much about Ananias. There's two other Ananiases in the book of Acts that we shouldn't confuse this guy with. So the other two, one high priest, and then Ananias and Sapphira in Acts, earlier in Acts. This guy was just a disciple in Damascus. That's all we know. So imagine, normal guy, Ananias hears from God and he's like, yes, Lord, you're about to do something awesome with me. I'm about it. Yes, Lord, what do you want? The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. 
for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Oof. Perhaps not what Ananias was thinking. Maybe he was thinking about going abroad. Maybe he was thinking about joining someone on a missionary journey in another place. Instead, he says, hey, that street over there, Straight Street in the downtown Damascus, go there because there's a guy uh, named Saul and, and he's praying. He's setting him up. Do you see it? He's setting him up. He's, he's already saying, not only that, I've given you, I've given him your name. And he knows that someone named Ananias is about to lay hands on him and heal him. He can't see. I mean, it doesn't get more set up than that. Let's see how he responds. Verse 13, Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. He's like, hey, God, uh, I don't know about this guy. Uh, he wants to do some terrible things to your people. Judgment in his heart. We all have it, y'all. It's okay. We just need to recognize it and ask the Lord to change that into compassion. Even when Ananias is set up, he's struggling. Even when the pressure has been taken off, God is verbally telling him to go. He's setting him up in an incredible encounter and yet he's saying, but that's not good. Well, Matthew 10, I'm not gonna go into it, but I encourage you to read Matthew 10. Jesus sends out his 12 disciples to go to the Jews. And then later on, he basically says, it's not gonna be easy. People are not gonna like us when we go. If we think that we're gonna be welcomed by everyone, we're just foolish. This enemy is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour and is very deceptive. It's not gonna be easy when we go out and share Jesus in an ice. Thankfully, changes course. Verse 15, but the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. God's saying, hey, hey, that authority that you think the high priests have to arrest you and others like you that are actually following me, I have more authority. Let me do my thing. And you, booming beaver, do your job. And I'll take care of the rest. Because he is bringing, through Ananias' obedience, he was bringing this amazing, powerful ship named Paul out into the open and we read that Paul does amazing things and writes even greater things that have surpassed his life and have stayed with us for thousands of years. That is thanks to God's sovereignty and faithfulness. And God used Ananias. Lord, uh, verse 17, then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, brother Saul. The judgment was off. The compassion was on. He was entering into this amazing divine appointment, and now he's calling an enemy brother. That's a change in Ananias' heart. The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. 
thanks to Ananias, thanks to his role in God's redemptive story, Paul comes to know the Lord intimately and is baptized. An outward expression of an inward reality. I was baptized as a kid, but it was through those guys in that house that I realized I had done it to check the box off in my walk with God, and I was confirmed later on, and I did all the right things, but my heart wasn't in the right place, and that shifted when I started seeing everything that God had done for me by forgiving me and and restoring my mind. And then when I was asked, do you want to be baptized? It took me a little bit to wrestle with that. But then I said, absolutely, because I want to respond to God and God alone. And baptism is just a symbol, just like communion, where uh, where it represents an outward expression of something that God is doing inwardly. Paul is baptized. Later on in Acts 22, 12, uh, Paul's speaking of Ananias, and he says, a man named Ananias lived there. He was a godly man, deeply devoted to the law and well-regarded by all the Jews of Damascus. I put this on there because I love how Paul honored Ananias's role in his life. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have in Ananias, someone that God put in your path that brought you into relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe it was your parents. Maybe it was a sibling, a cousin, an uncle, a grandma, a grandpa. Maybe it was a friend, a stranger. It was someone that you only met one time. If you have a way to contact them, I encourage you today, because we're talking about it, shoot them a text. Give them a call. Say, hey, thank you for playing a role in my life that, 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 that superseded anything that I could have done on my own. Paul does it here, and I love that Saul spent several days, we're back in Acts chapter 9, and this is how I want to close, in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem on those who call him this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. What is Paul doing right now? Paul is gathering with the disciples in Damascus. He's hanging out with them. He's being with them. They're probably giving to one another. We don't know that explicitly, but we we can probably say that they were doing that. What was he also doing? He was going He was going and immediately he started preaching about the very person that had just saved his life. And in this last verse, he was growing to become more like Jesus. Paul was devoted. And my challenge to you today is, are you and I willing to be devoted to go out and find that person of peace that God is preparing, setting you up? God is filling you with compassion and God is placing on your path for the purpose of sharing your story in his story with that person. Worship team, you can come back up. I don't want to move on from this time without offering and, and inviting anyone into a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you have not made that decision and something today clicked, I guarantee you it wasn't me speaking, that's God speaking to you specifically, saying, I see you and I know you, and I don't just want you to know about me. I want you to know me. That's God's heart for us 
this morning. And there is no magical prayer or anything. All you have to say this morning in your seat is yes. Yes, I believe. I believe that Jesus is the son of God. I believe that he died for my sins and has brought me everlasting life. And for the rest of us in the room, I hope that we leave here encouraged and challenged to take the judgment off and ask the Lord to replace it with his compassion for those around us. Maybe there's someone in your life that you would think never in a million years would they come to know you. And Ananias thought that about Paul. And I love a good surprise. God's full of it. Ask for God's compassion. Take the pressure off. God sets us up in the same way that Paul knew that a man named Ananias was gonna come to him. God prepares works for us to do in advance so when we walk in it, he is all over the place. Story after story in my life and many that I've heard, that's what, what happens. You share something and they say, oh my gosh, I can't believe that you're talking to me about this because just this morning or last night, I was thinking about the very same thing and I don't normally think about God. We take the pressure off, God sets us up and we can go, we can speak, we can share God's goodness right where we are and follow the favor that God's given us in the various places that we get to follow.